uh, the Gospel of John. And uh, we're going to look at uh, verses, as you can see, I've got this weird reference up there. We're going to look at verses 7 through 16, but um, we're going to read uh, 1 through uh, 16. So let's start in verse 1, uh, just for context. This is God's Word, John 11, starting in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who appointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And here's where we pick up the text today. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you were going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the things that is uh, very special about this church is something that you probably don't know about. Um, I've told you that uh, our staff has a, you know, businessy staff meeting once a month, so we're in the conference room, and it's just every chair taken, and we're all around this thing, and we talk about business stuff. That's the first Tuesday of the month. The other Tuesdays, we're back at the senior high room, piled on the furniture. This is, this is a giant staff. We're all piled in there, and we read through a book, and we discuss that book, and uh, Dr. Young shepherds us and develops the staff, and we, have, we are privy to... Uh, his mind, he answers any questions. And I mean, it's just a really, I, I tell, especially our junior staffers, I'm like, you don't know. This is not how, this is not how churches run. Um, the, the senior pastor comes floating in as a, like, a, like some kind of celebrity and floats out again. And we have access to this guy. Well, here's another sweetness that you'd, you'd probably don't know about. Every year, there is an elder staff Thanksgiving dinner at the Young's house. And it has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and the, and the, the staff's gotten fatter and I mean bigger and bigger and bigger, and um, it is crammed full of people. I mean, elders and staff, it is it is crowded, and uh, we're just piled in there on top of each other, and we eat and we hang out and we laugh, and then we stop everything and we pray. The staff and the elders of your church, we pray. And we don't pray for two minutes. We pray for 30 minutes. Women and men are praying. And uh, it's just uh, an incredibly sweet time. And uh, another example of why this place, I think, is unique. All right, all to say, 
Uh, Eric Kriegler is one of our elders. I don't know if you know who Eric Kriegler is, but he is a large person. And, um, you know, Dr. The, the, the Young's house, they kind of have a living room and there's sort of a place to eat and a kitchen and it's kind of dog leggy. And so it's not a giant place. So there, it's, it's open, but it, it's hard to fit everybody in. So when we do, I mean, we're just crammed in there with chairs and anybody who's young is sitting on the floor. Uh, you know, anybody who can get up again is sitting on the floor and the rest of us are on chairs. But anyway, Eric Kriegler walks in. And you're like, it's already pretty crowded in here. He is large. And he looks at the chair that is uh, left for him. And he's going, uh, I don't think that's going to do the job. <laughs> and uh, so he picks it up and he trades with Justin McCain. <laughs> what, who's another large person. You know, and if there's, there's Justin and me. And I was so flattered that he picked Justin. No, wait a minute. <laughs> no, maybe I shouldn't be flattered. I shouldn't be flattered, should I? No, I'm not, I'm not flattered. I'm not flattered. Oh, yeah. Anyway, he goes, here, you're the best, the best bet. And then so Eric takes a more sturdy chair, and he sits on the chair, and everything was fine. All to say. Um, my point is this. If a chair will hold up Eric Kriegler, you're good to go. I mean, Higginbotham can stroll on in and go, man, I'm totally fine. You know, I uh, held up Kriegler. Uh, and, and, you know, he, and he played football, too. And so I imagine that if he runs through the line full of people in uniforms uh, that, you know, if you've got the ball, you can pro- there's probably a hole you can go through. I think that's how it works. I think that would be a, probably a pretty good guy to have uh, there. All to say, ladies and gentlemen, huh? <laughs> I did go to one Bears game once. I did. We had to, my dad, we had hot chocolate. We had to leave in the middle because it was too cold. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, I say all that to say this. And by the way, I talked to Eric this morning and said he, I told him all about this, and he thought it was great. But anyway, my point is this. If it'll hold up Kriegler, it'll hold up you. Um, if Kriegler busts through the wall, you can go through the wall. And it's the same thing with the Lord Jesus, friends. It's the same thing with life. I mean, if Christ has gone before us, if Christ has defeated death, if Christ is in the presence of the Father, what do you think that says for you? It says you're going to be Okay. Now, I've, I've tried to craft a point, over, uh, and, and here's, what I, here's what I came up with. Jesus has authority over death. If you want to know what the big idea is, Jesus had a, has authority over death. Although, I think I'm going to personalize it for you. Let me, let me change the wording a little bit. Because Jesus lives, we will live. He's alive, friends. He's not Confucius. He's not Buddha. He's not Mohammed. He's not a dead prophet. He's a living Savior, living and on high in the presence of the Father where the believers will go. Uh, He is in vibrant fellowship with the Father, and the implications for us are joyful indeed. So let's go to our first point, which is this, advancing toward death. Uh, Look at verse 7. This is uh, the hunk that we're studying today. Uh, Verse 7, it says, Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. Now, it's interesting the way that Jesus put that. Um, Let us go to Judea again. Where is Lazarus? Do you remember? I mean, we read it in the first hunk there. Where is Lazarus? Bethany. Bethany. Bethany's about a mile. It's like 1.2 miles from Jerusalem. It's not not far at all. Just outside of Jerusalem. Lazarus is in Bethany. Um, Where is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is in Judea. It's a hunk of, you know, here's Israel and Judea's kind of... Here's here's Jerusalem and uh, and Bethany. And uh, so Bethany's in Judea. Um, 
Jesus could have said, like, like he, could have, he could have put it this way in our terms. He could have said, let us go back to Germantown. Let's go back to Germantown where you know, Lazarus is in Germantown. He could have said that, but instead he said, let us go back to Shelby County. Now I find that very interesting. He could have said, let us go back um, to Bethany. Let us go back to where they live. But he says, let us go back to Judea again. Um, I think he is um, purposely accentuating a point. And I think the point he is purposely accentuating is that of death. And you see that the disciples pick right up on it. Their minds go straight to it. In verse 8, the disciples say, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you're going there again? And that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, Jesus wants us to see that. And the Holy Spirit of God wants us to see that. John, the gospel writer, wants us to see that. That Jesus is going back to a place where he was in danger. It's not just a little town of Bethany. It's where the religious leadership was. It's where Jerusalem is and where Jesus was under pressure. Um, Jesus had not only, remember, if he equated himself with the Father before them, um, which, by the way, they never would have thought of it that way. I mean, we think of God as Father all the time. We pray, Father, Father, Father. We think of it, that's, that's how we think of God. That, that, was not, that was new to them. They never thought of God as Father. They thought of God as Yahweh. Yahweh, the Jehovah, um, they, they, they would never have uh, uh, thought of God in such personal terms. Um, but Jesus was equating himself with Yahweh and even calling him father. And uh, so they tried to stone him. If you remember that, they pick up stones, they try to stone him. And he stops them with more dialogue and he entraps them in their actions. Um, if you, um, yeah, look at verse um, 32. Uh, oh, 31, look at it, 31. The Jews picked up, st- oh, excuse me, of chapter 10. The Jews picked up some stones to stone him. Um, why did they pick up stones to stone him? Well, it's because of what he just said. Look at verse 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Not only is Jesus acquainted himself with the Father, he goes on to say, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father of one. He equates himself with the Father. But not only that, what's his topic? He says, I give them eternal life. He speaks of life, life and death. And so they try to stone him and he stops them in their tracks. And he says in verse 32 of chapter 10, I've shown you many good works from the father. For which of them are you going to stone me? He's going, hey, I've done supernatural things. You know, I'm not just claiming divinity. I'm doing divine things. Uh, he has proven that he has divine power. And as I said before, I think it was last week that they totally, maybe, no, it was a few weeks ago. They totally missed the point. They totally missed the point. Verse 33, the Jews answer him and they say, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man, make yourself God. They totally miss what he's saying. He's saying, I can only do this stuff because of divine power. And they're like, yeah, the stuff. Yeah, that's the stuff. But you're acquainting yourself with God. He's, he's demonstrating that he is exactly what he says, that he is and the Father are one. And so um, in chapter 10, verse 40, they seek to arrest him. So they've already tried to stone him. Uh, he dispels that a little bit. He, they, they try to arrest him. And uh, away they go. Um, and uh, that intentionally sets the scene uh, for what's going on here. This, this miracle of bringing Lazarus to life is the last recorded miracle of Jesus. And it's a biggie. Going from death 
to life. He's done lots of things. Um, it's also the apex of his miracles. You know, he's done a lot of things like um, feed the 5,000. It's pretty big. And, and not some little closeted miracle either, something known by lots and lots of people. Um, he calmed raging waters on the seas just by speaking. That's power over the created order. He walks on water. That's power over the created order. Um, there are other things too, like healings. He heals lameness. He heals blindness. Even a man born blind, verified by his parents. No other uh, person born blind had ever been healed by a prophet or Moses or anybody in the Old Testament, um, even though that was talked about, uh, that, the, that this messianic figure would come and do that. And he does that. Um, but it's a, it, it, this here, this with Lazarus, is a display of divine power over death itself. He's got life and death in his hands. He's speaking freely of it, and then he does it. And it sets the stage um, for this great reality, which is, unbeknownst to the disciples, yet fully known to Jesus right here, right in this narrative, in less than two weeks, Jesus himself will die. That's where we are in time. In less than two weeks, Jesus himself will die. He knows this. The disciples don't know this. And he waits two days to intentionally let Lazarus die, whom he loved, so that he could go back, bring Lazarus back to life, and prove his divinity and his power over death itself. I mean, what a thing. Let that sink in. Um, you know, it's not a cute story about, about a mummy in, in some little uh, kid's uh, Bible study. It, it is... Um, you know, I ask you, what, what, what good is salvation if you're not saved unto life? I mean, it's not just a, it's not just a little uh, Christian club we get in and we hang out with a bunch of other people that have southern accents and, and uh, use hairspray. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's being saved unto life. Um, you know, uh, if you've got a Mac, in fact, I, they, they kind of changed it, but on the bottom of a, on the bottom of a Mac, you've got a dock down there. And the doc, it, you can make the doc disappear, you can make it big or smaller, you can make it kind of poof out and blah, blah. But uh, I think they've taken it away. It still exists in a couple other things. But it used to be, if you don't want to keep something in the dock, you just click on it, you drag it, and you let go of it. And it's kind of cool. You know what happens? Yeah, there's this little poof, this little like, poof, this little thing of smoke, and it goes, poof, and it like, it just kind of poofs away. Well, if life is that, friends, we live this life on this earth and we die and all we do is go, what, what meaning is there? I mean, who cares if you rob and murder? Who cares if there's a right and wrong? Who cares who's in office? If all life is is this thing, we eat, drink, and we're merry, and then we poof and, and, it's, and it, there's nothing left. Who cares? Well, application for your life in all this. Um, one commentator I was reading said, I'd rather like this, he said, illness is only death deferred. It's <laughs> pretty good, isn't it? Oh, you got the sniffles, do you? Oh, uh, you got plantar fasciitis, do you? Uh, oh, you had surgery? R- raise your hand if you've ever had a surgery in your life. Look at all you people that have been cut on. Um, uh, how about that, you know, that pain in your heel, that plantar fasciitis, uh, um, the crepey skin? You have, who's got crepey skin? Oh, <laughs> I didn't expect. Um, 
You got crepey skin. You don't want crepey skin. Uh, who's had a colonoscopy? Lots of people have a colonoscopy. Are you looking forward to that? Uh, wh- what is that? That is death deferred, my friends. You are wearing out. You're falling apart. Um, you know, it's, it's like your old car. I mean, you keep patching it and patching it and patching it and patching it, and finally you're going, it's not worth it anymore. Well, huh? <laughs> well, you know, it's the same thing with the human body. We are wearing out, and it is not as we were designed. Those are manifestations and managements of death. And how about this? How about that problem that you have with that person at work? They're driving you crazy, or they're doing a bad job, or you can't seem to get a good mojo going in the, in the office. The relationships are all wha- wacky. What about that? Or how about this? What about um, the addiction with that loved one that you have? Or how about this? Uh, the issue with your child that you just cannot solve. You have those? How about um, any anxiety or depression or fear that grips you and you don't know why? How about... Um, any relationship in your life that is fractured, seemingly beyond repair. Do you have those? I, I have one of those right now in Chicago. The whole family, there's a fissure from my immediate family all the way up to my father's brothers and sisters. The family's fractured, split down the middle. They're going to sit in a courtroom opposing one another on Wednesday. Can you imagine? What is that? But a, a, uh, a, a picture of what is happening, which is Death. Um, it is death deferred. How about these kinds of ultimate questions as a human being? You ask questions like, where did I come from? Why does my life matter? Why do my experiences matter? Why does my suffering matter? Does it matter? Will I be okay after this life? That's the biggie. Well, you know what Jesus says in chapter 10, verse 10? He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not just life with patches, but life that is abundant. You know, um, as, you, as you age, you know, you kind of get a lot of scars. And as I was typing this, I was like, boy, I got a lot of scars just on my hands. I mean, I got a scar right here from when I was a kid and I put my hand through some cold glass, a uh, glass door. My hand went through here. I got a scar here. I did that with a shovel. Uh, I got a scar here. I did that in a kitchen where I worked um, and I, I was slicing bread and I cut my thumb really deeply there. And then here, I got another one. When I was a little kid, I carved an arrow. I was going to start making arrows. That was my new adventure. I was going to make arrows. And as I was trying to cut the notch for the string on top of it, I was holding like this and pressing very hard down with a knife. And I cut my finger very deeply here. But Andy, listen, I've had basal cell, basal cell, basal cell, basal cell, basal cell. This is my melanoma right here. I'm just covered with scars. Are you? Well, snap. When Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, He's not just saying, stitch them up, and they're going to walk around like Frankensteins for all eternity. He came so that we would have life abundantly. Uh, And by the way, I have other scars too. I have emotional scars. I have mental scars. I have relational scars. But friend, Jesus' own bodily resurrection secures my own. He went before me He is alive. He is victorious. He's in the presence of the Father. He has the Father's ear. I have those things because he went before me. And it's not just that. It is life abundant. It is life actually. We're not just saved and plopped down here um, to to try to duke it out and make it to the finish line uh, in our own power. No. He has given us the Holy Ghost who sanctifies us, who works in us. Um, You know, we have an historical Savior And that means that he is anchored in time 
Okay, he's not like Zeus, not just some story. He's a real person born to real people in a real place, in a real culture, with a real language, an historical savior. But friends, um, he also actually really lives and really sent his spirit to dwell in us so that now we pray to a heavenly father. We have that father. Now we have that relationship. It's not an idea. We have it. We own it. We possess it. Um, And that is a a great joy of the gospel. All right, let's move on for time. Um, Accepting the reality of death. Look at verse 9. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If uh, anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, that is a, that's the strangest thing in this passage, isn't it? It's hard to understand what he's saying there. Um, and um, I can tell you that <clears throat> different scholars have different ideas as to what that means. Um, and by the way, they're not guesses. They're, they're scholarly opinions. They're studied opinions. So, you know, it's not like, well, I think it means this. Well, I think it means this. I mean, they're studied opinions, okay? So the studied opinions, read the strange thing that Jesus says, uh, are there not 12 hours in a day? Well, what does that mean? Well, in the Jewish day, there's 12 hours and 12 hours, day and night, okay? The Jewish day is 12 hours and 12 hours, okay? So that's just a common thing that a Jew would know. And then he goes on to say, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, some scholars say it is important to note that Jesus is speaking in a highly stylized way, isn't he? He's talking about light and dark and stumbling. You have light, you don't stumble. You're, it's in the dark, you do stumble. He's speaking in a stylized way. And, you know, he has been speaking in a stylized way. When he talks about being a good shepherd, that's a stylized way. When he talks about being the light, the way, uh, the truth. Uh, also, um, when, he talks about the, um, when he talks about the religious leadership um, being blind and thieves and robbers, um, and he talks about himself as a gatekeeper. Well, that, those are stylized uh, words. And, uh, and this, a lot of scholarship says it's important for us to remember that he's speaking in a stylized way. And, uh, you know, when he speaks of uh, light and stumbling in the darkness and all that stuff. All right. On the other hand, other scholars warn that that, that can go wackadoodle real fast where you've got some poor, sweet little country preacher out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, he's like, oh, well, let's talk about stumbling and the light, and we're going to talk about, let me get my glasses, and, and uh, they can make the scripture say anything they want uh, them to say. Um, and yet others, I read one guy, he said, when Jesus says this, it's nothing more, this is a quote, it's nothing more than a man's got to do what a man's got to do, which I think is a little bit shallow. <laughs> In, in interpretation, all right? So here's where I, here's where I think we fall. Um, Jesus is, is um, in the valley of the shadow of death, all right? He knows this, and uh, it is precisely what it came to do. Um, look, look at verse 11. Um, yeah, after, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus uh, has fallen asleep. I go to awaken him. He's talking about life and death, um, all I think Jesus is saying here is this. Um, there's a task I have to do and I got to stay true to the task. 
I got to be obedient to the task. There's a way that is light, and I'm going in the light. And if you're going to go with me, you got to go in the light with me. There, there's, a, there's a way that has to happen. Um, he's very much in the life and death mode. And so I don't think we need to overanalyze this, but I don't think we need to dismiss it like a man's got to do what a man's got to do. I think he's saying, I came with the intent to save. I was born to die this is why I was born of the Virgin Mary. This is where I'm going, and I cannot be dissuaded from it. That's what I think he's saying. All right, so um, moving on. He says uh, in verse 11, as I said, um, I'm going to go, um, uh, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I go to awaken him. Uh, isn't it interesting that he uses the word sleep? Uh, he does, and, and by the way, the disciples are confused. They think he means that he's asleep. You know, he's, in, he's sleeping, or he's in a coma, or he's going to snap out of it, or whatever, but he's asleep. Jesus means death, but he says asleep. And listen, um, of Old Testament and New Testament saints, um, that they are sleeping, that they slept, that a king slept with his fathers, um, or New Testament saints are, are asleep, um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a commonly used uh, term that means um, a saint has died and has gone to be with the Lord, okay? Um, but Jesus uses it here, um, so that it confuses his disciples, so it makes his point hit harder. Look at verse 12. Um, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. And so the next thing he says shores up his meaning, and he wants it to stick to their minds. He says plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, how does this apply to your life? On the occasion that I do a funeral, and I, I've, I've done a n- number of them over the years. Um, I've sung in a whole bunch. I've, done, I've preached some funerals, um, and I've preached some gravesides. Uh, and particularly at a graveside, um, there's a thing that I say. And the thing that I say is this. Um, you know, you're standing out there in the grass and the family's huddled around and it's either pouring down rain or it's sunny or whatever the weather happens to be. You're huddled around together. And I say, this is as real as it gets. And you know, there's always Christians and non-Christians in that situation. I say, this is as real as it gets. The, the moment at which a person goes from this side of the ground to this side of the ground. And it awaits us all. Well, that'll get your attention. Doesn't, doesn't matter who you are or where you are in life or how uh, atheistic you may think that you are, that it's, it's a bracing thought. You move from this side of the earth to this side of the earth. The disciples must have been thinking, oh, he's not just asleep, he's actually dead? Well, that's as real as it gets, uh, Jesus. I mean, and come to think of it, we got word and you sent word back, we could have gone and been there at the same time that the word you sent arrived, but we didn't. We stayed extra, and uh, it allowed Lazarus to die. What a conundrum that must have been. And then Jesus says, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. You know, uh, in chapter 17 in the high priestly prayer, Jesus 
you know, all through his ministry, he's saying, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. They try to stone him, but he slips out. They try to arrest him, but he slips out. Why does that keep happening? Why does the, why does the heavenly father, why does the Holy Spirit keep protecting Jesus? He's always able to, to slip and slide and get away. And he's always, he's trying to guard. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. In the high priestly prayer, hours before he's arrested, Jesus prays and he's, he lifts his eyes to the heavens and he says, Father, the hour has come. Time to die. Now, friends, Jesus will show his consummate power over incontrovertible human death in Lazarus. Lazarus, as, we, as you'll see in the, in the weeks to come, Lazarus dies and uh, he's surely dead. He stinketh. That's how dead he is. He stinketh. Um, it, it is absolutely proven that he's dead. And uh, if Jesus can heal Lazarus and the disciples witness that Jesus can heal Lazarus and raise him from the dead, I think that's a cause for belief for them and for us. That's how it applies to your life. Again, if uh, Jesus has defeated death, then you're going to be okay in your death. You're going to live. If Jesus is alive, believer in Christ, you're going to be okay. All right, last point. Associating with the Savior in death. Um, we just have one verse left. It's, uh, we're not going to spend a long time here, but look at, look at this in verse 16. Um, so Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, the first thing we'll get off the list is, why is it Th- Thomas called the twin? I didn't know. This is, this is the same guy, you know, doubting Thomas. Same guy. Thomas called the twin. Why is he called the twin? What does that mean? Well, it's, it's very simple. His name means um, uh, Thomas in Greek and in Aramaic, the same name means twin. All right. And maybe he had a twin. I don't know if there's anything else. I don't think there's anything else in the scriptures that talks about Thomas having a twin or that we would need to know or that we would need to spend too much time on it. It's just a, 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 a factoid. We don't have to get bogged down in, in guesses. The thing we need to see here is this. It identifies Thomas. He says to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Application for your life. That hardly sounds like a doubting man, does it? I mean, one of my pet peeves is how... Um, Preachers make little cartoon characters out of, out of people in the Bible. You know, like, oh, Peter, 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 Peter. Oh, he was just so rambunctious and blah, blah. Or they'll say, well, I'm, I'm a lot like Paul. I'm a lot like Paul. You know why? Because I'm a jerk. And, uh, you know, I'm forceful. I'm a forceful man. And so I'm a lot like Paul. And so when they turn, they turn Bible uh, lives into little, uh, you know, Yosemite Sam's. And that just drives me crazy. And we do the same thing with Thomas. Oh, Thomas. Well, doubting Thomas. We, we've even coined it. Doubting Thomas. Doesn't sound like he's doubting here, does it? He says, let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus is going back to Judea in a very dangerous situation. Thomas is like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's follow Jesus. Okay. And yet, just like Peter denied Christ, Thomas fled when Jesus was arrested. Thomas did flee. Here he was bowed up. Peter was bowed up, but they, but they denied and they fled. Um, close with this. Um, at this we, Tammy and I went to the Orpheum last night. Anybody see Iron and Wine at the Orpheum last night? Anybody have a hamburger at 1130? 
at local. That's where we were last night at 1130. It's pretty funny. Is she gone? She already stormed out. Okay. Um, but uh, so we saw a concert at the Orpheum and, uh, and it was really groovy and all that stuff. And as, as so uh, as I'm making my way back to the seat my, right before it starts, this person was sitting forward and uh, I saw their, the back of their shirt and I was like, ooh, I'm take a picture of that. So I did and my flash was on and everything. It was, it was kind of a little embarrassing. Um, but I couldn't resist because I was like, hot dog. Uh, check this out. Tired of living, scared of dying. Jesus came to, Jesus came to remedy that, y'all. That, that's, that's, that's a fact of humanity right there, fallen humanity. Jesus came to remedy that. Um, if he's going to go, if he's going to go before us and die, and if he's going to go live again uh, by resurrection power, you're going to be okay, friends. Um, there is no life without our association in Christ and his death, like Thomas here. He says, you know what? Let's go that we may die with him. That's gospel news for you. You die with the Savior, but you, then you live with the Savior. So if you don't know the Savior, here's the gospel. You sinned. You've fallen short of the glory of God. Every person who ever lived knows it. Every person who ever lived has felt shame. Every person who ever lived has regrets. Every single person. Every person who ever lived uh, asks ultimate questions about why they're here and why life matters, what's beyond this life, when it's over, what will happen to me. That's normal, the normal questions. Here's the answer. The, the world has fallen. You're a sinner. You're a liar. You're a deceiver. I am. But Christ wasn't. The Son of God came to this earth, took on a human life, never lied, never sinned, never deceived, never cheated, was never selfish. And uh, he lived that perfect life and he was able then to be eligible to say to the Father, I fulfilled all righteousness. I lived the human life. I did it. Now I can be in the place of the sinner. You believe in Christ? Think of a courtroom. You believe in Christ? And the judge looks at Christ and goes, okay, you want to, you're, gonna, you're willing to take this guy's penalty? Because you're innocent, you can do it. Another guilty person couldn't do it. Because you're innocent, you can do it. And that's what Jesus does in the presence of the Father. I'll take that sinner's penalty, and you give that sinner my righteousness. And then the gavel hits at the courtroom of heaven. Innocent. You. That's life in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Christ, we uh, come only in your name remembering that um, in all our um, addresses to God the Father, we only do that because of your finished and accomplished work on the cross and because of the reality of the Holy Spirit who has been put in our souls. Uh, thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. Thank you, uh, Lord Jesus, that you are reigning and living uh, and holding session uh, in heaven right now. We are your subjects, you are our king, God is our father, and we are safe forever, safe everlastingly, because you live, uh, because you live, we'll be okay, and we pray it in your name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you.